Welcome to the Commonweal Policy Podcast uh, with me, Jonathan Shaffey. I'm the Campaigns Officer here at Commonweal. And this week, uh, regular listeners will be expecting to hear Dr. Craig DL. Uh, but we are joined and very happy to be joined by Lewis Akers, who's interning here as a researcher um, at Commonweal. Lewis, welcome to the show. How are you getting on? Eh, not too bad today. How about you, Jonathan? It's great to be here as usual. Good, I, I am well, um, uh, despite the uh, political uh, situation in which we find ourselves, which actually, as I think we'll come on to, I think there's huge opportunities uh, for us, for independence and for progressives in the left generally. Um, I'm going to be asking you today about a number of things and we're going to come on to Commonwealth's latest policy, uh, which we'll link to at the bottom of this podcast. But First, uh, Boris Johnson being the new Prime Minister, I've got to ask you, any reaction? Uh, I mean, after some of the disgusting comments he's made about people in Scotland and also, you know, um, minorities across the length and breadth of the UK, it's uh, just staggering that, um, you know, we have him as our Prime Minister. I think it only serves to kind of um, improve the arguments for independence as if they weren't already good enough. Uh, They've got that little bit of a kick up the bum uh, to make them even better. Well, uh, I think that's a, a fair summation. Did you watch his speech that he gave, his victory speech? Yeah, I, I thought it was um, kind of quite boring for him. You know, there was nothing, there was nothing kind of, you know, there's none of his usual jokes or kind of um, bumbling personality. It actually seemed quite sensible, dare I say it for him. Not that I agree with what he said, but it seemed more sensible than the Boris Johnson that we're used to. So I, I don't know if it's um, kind of indicative of maybe... Um, the kind of path that he's going to take from now on or um, whether it's just a kind of, you know, I don't know, um, just a kind of one-off. And, uh, of course, uh, he's referring to himself as uh, dude and that's on the, the front pages of the Telegraph and all this. Uh, how, how did you feel about the uh, the acronym uh, DUD being dudes in the end after energising Britain. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I can't see much more energising than Boris Johnson uh, to get people off the uh, sofa and into the streets sort of challenging the status quo. Uh, I mean, it, it really is a kind of divisive character. You know, when you saw, like, Theresa May, you kind of you kind of just feel deflated where you see Boris Johnson and you kind of actually feel angry. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, think, I think that you get more of a response from a character like Boris Johnson than you might do from a character like Theresa May, who by all accounts just seems like another bland politician. Boris Johnson has this, you know, kind of divisive character around him like Trump, you know, someone who you know exactly what they think, um, you know where you can challenge them on, and actually there's lots of areas that we can challenge Boris Johnson on, um, especially around lo- lots of the racist rhetoric um, that he's employed, um, especially during the EU referendum campaign uh, and throughout his career, you know, the whole talk about... Um, you know, people in burkas being, uh, what was it, post boxes or something yeah, he referred to yeah. them, or, you know, the, you know, uh, the, there's other things that he said as well, like, uh, it's just, um, I think that that's a clear kind of cut where we can sort of challenge him on, and I think it offers um, Jeremy Corbyn and, you know, the sort of Labour left uh, a real kind of dividing line between themselves and that kind of, um, that kind of um, hard right kind of Tory rhetoric. And when he said, um, uh, dude, we're going to transform the country, or whatever it was, uh, felt very much to me like there was a burning ember in my eye, dude, rather than, <laughs> any, rather than anything else. Because he does pass himself off as this kind of oafish and clownish character. But as we know, 
there's much more going on than that. And yeah. uh, it seems to me that the this kind of um this kind of theatre won't be enough to get him through the next couple of months. I mean, he's facing an immediate crisis about how to get Brexit through. Yeah. I can't see him being able to navigate that. I think there are therefore huge opportunities that will open up as he finds it very difficult to grapple yeah. with that. But offishness and clownishness is not going to be able to get him through Brexit. It might have been able to get him through his days in the Billingdon Club or yeah. as the editor of The Spectator, but not as the Prime Minister taking the British state through this most profound... Uh, political crisis. Yeah, and I, I think that the, there's only so long that you can sort of um, masquerade your politics behind, you know, laughs and jokes before it actually starts to dawn on people that actually that has an effect on their everyday life. You know, um, there's there's only so much theatre that people can put up with, and that that is as you say, that's enough to get you maybe um, through being the mayor of London or whatever. But it's not enough to. Um, sort of take the country on the course that it needs to go on and it's not it certainly won't be enough to deliver um, the sort of things that you and me want through um, Parliament the sort of um, transformative change you know Um, it's not going to be enough to sort of change the face of the country which we want well exactly Um, I think that's probably a good place to kind of segue in then to one of the the, I guess the, the primary thing that we'd like to talk about today I mean, I think there's huge opportunities going forward, partly because of the weakness of the Tory yep. party and because of the destabilised uh, position of the British state. It's opening up the, the whole question of independence again, as, as you put it. And we need to make sure that we are absolutely prepared to take on all of the arguments yep. around independence. And we need to make sure that we are well positioned to run an effective campaign that will win Uh, an independence uh, vote if and when we get to a referendum. One of the elements of that, and Commonweal and listeners should go and look at the Commonweal policy library, we have been building up a raft of policy that when you add it together comes to form a really solid basis for setting up a new country and for setting up a new state. And just this week, we have released uh, a new policy paper, uh, this one done by the economist Margaret Cuthbert, which is looking at Scotland's trade, and in particular, looking at Scotland's trade and how we present and gather together statistics and data that would allow us to construct a trade policy that would maximise Scotland's potential for its own people uh, as well. So, do you want to just give us a bit of an overview of, of, the, of the paper and then we'll get to some of the detail? Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, it's written by Ma- Margaret Cuthbert, who is an absolutely fantastic economist. If people haven't heard of her before, you need to go online, um, Google her, um, read some of the stuff that she's written because it's absolutely fantastic. Um, outside of this paper, um, she's worked on this sort of area as well. Um, and it's surprising how many people within the independence movement, you know, haven't invested time in actually reading some of Margaret Cuthbert's work. Um, but the sort of um, main premise of the paper is um, laying out the fundamental arguments of why we need a Scottish statistics agency. Um, so currently, we don't have a Scottish statistics agency. We don't have um, the sort of comprehensive statistics that we need um, to, you know, estimate and um, approximate some of the sort of stuff around um, promoting Scotland's goods and services around the rest of the world. Um, so it's sort of laying out the arguments and the key reasons why we need a Scottish statistics agency, why statistics are important, and actually what what they can sort of 
uh, wider than that, it feeds into that argument of what they can bring to the table um, once an independence referendum is won, um, once we gain independence, and how it lays, how it can lay out the arguments of um, how to set up an independent country. You know, um, and that's something that obviously Commonwealth focuses a lot on, and I think it's it seems like quite a dry topic. You know, when you first hear a Scottish statistics agency, you kind of go, why should I be interested in that? But once you get into the nitty gritty of the paper and also um, Craig um, DL's paper before on um, the Scottish Statistics Agency, you actually start to realise that this is a really important aspect of setting up any nation state, of setting up an independent Scotland and making it prosperous. Well, I think that's, you know, very well put. I mean, uh, as you say, that Commonweal has been um, looking at a range of issues that we need to look at. Um, when setting up a new Scottish state, and lots of these are um, immediately quite exciting yeah. to people, and you know how to set up a new country uh, and all all of that, but often it's the detail that you have to get right and that people have to understand yeah. in order that we can can maximise our potential. I think probably, especially in the kind of post Brexit context where people are looking for more detail about how this would be done, that we don't repeat some of the mistakes that have been made when attempting to uh, prize the UK out of the of the European Union. Um, why don't we go into then a, a, a bit of detail about how would this have a, a positive impact on people's lives? I mean, what's the, what's the relationship, I guess, between um, having these sets of statistics and designing our trade policy in this kind of manner what can it bring about for our economy and for our people? Well, I suppose a, a good starting place is that um, the uh, just now, as as a country, Scotland has two sources, two major sources of um, statistics. So we've got HMRC; they publish these quarterly figures around exports, and then we have um, Export Statistics Scotland. Um, now. These sort of look at the exported goods um, from the whole of the UK in the HMRC report um, and also in devolved areas. Um, the problem with these is that they're not comprehensive and they're not compatible with each other. So it makes kind of looking at Scotland's trade not that reliable at the moment. Um, so what that means is that we don't have any way to, I suppose, estimate what we need to export or import um, that um it, it, so I suppose that all ties into how we build um, small and medium-sized businesses, which are much more beneficial to the Scottish economy than you know larger businesses. Um, you know, for more of the tax money, um, more of the money you spend in local businesses uh, goes back into the local economy. So it's about sort of um, coming up with um, local national plans to maximise on businesses uh, that are going to sort of maximise on exports and um, uh, exports. Um, so that we can target those to different countries. And can you tell us a bit as well about uh, the the question of global connections? Because there is this aspect of there being a, already in existence, a global connections survey. How does that factor into this whole discussion? Because clearly there's going, going to be a global dimension to this, not just in relation to the rest of the UK. Yeah, I mean, well, the, the sort of there's the global connections survey already, so they feed in the global connections survey feeds into um, export statistics Scotland, which is a kind of report they do every couple of years or so. Um, so the global connections survey is uh, sent to around six thousand businesses. Um, the survey though is not compulsory. 
Um, so these businesses don't need to fill them in. So the, the, the success rate of businesses actually filling them in is around 22%. So the data that we get isn't that reliable. Um, there's not a guaranteed quality of information. Businesses don't have to do it. Um, so actually, um, we don't have a great picture of Scotland on the global stage. Um, we don't have a um, sort of um, great position to say, Scotland's here, here, here and here on the global stage. This is what we need to do. This is what we need to get on with. Um, and I suppose it, it leaves us sort of shortchanged if we did need to negotiate um, stuff around exports and imports and post-independence um, because, well, we don't have that data. So actually, before we get to independence, it's really necessary that we have this information to give us the strongest hand in negotiations so that we know that our, what our value is and so that we don't undervalue ourselves. And uh, when it comes to the negotiations, like presumably the kinds of things that we've talked about previously in this podcast, that people listen back to them, presumably that this is one way of ensuring that when we go into these negotiations that we have the most accurate summation of what we think we can do in terms of trade and how Scotland can position itself in the, the, the global economy. Um, what do you think the reaction will be from uh, the whoever's negotiating with the, the rest of the UK, whoever's in Westminster, um, when we go to negotiations? Because it seems to me that if we've learned one thing from Brexit, it's that the institutions, the financial institutions and so on, will make it very, very difficult for us to actually leave the UK um, I think if you look at the Growth Commission, they basically accept the premise that you can't actually leave the UK because so much power is yeah. left, um, economic power and so on, would be left um, in the UK framework. Your attitude to negotiations, though, seems to be, from what you've said, one which should be much harder roast. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that in any, in any negotiation, you need to go in um, with the facts um, about what your position is the facts about what the opposing side's position is so that you can work out what your position is within those negotiations so that you can work out your relative strengths within those negotiations. I mean, it's not, it's not just important that we know what we're exporting, but it's important what we know what we're importing. You know, it's important that if uh, Independent Scotland goes into a um, negotiation with the EU um, around sort of um, trade, tariffs, whatever, um, we know how much... Um, we import from the EU. We know how much we export into the EU um, because that sort of, I suppose that sort of defines our position. Um, because, for example, if we uh, import more than we export into the EU, um, then that changes our position completely and the other way around, vice versa, you know. It gives us different strengths in different areas. It gives us different areas that we should be focusing on in those negotiations. So it's really important to get that set out. And I think that if we can learn, as you say, if we can learn one thing from the Brexit debate, it's that you need a strong case when you're making a negotiation. You need to be sure of yourself, sure of your own strengths, sure of your own weaknesses, and sure of your, um, the opposing side's strengths and weaknesses as well. Otherwise, you end up with a deal that doesn't actually suit you. Well, I think that's very, uh, very aptly uh, put, especially in the context of, uh, of Brexit. You and I campaigned in 2014 um, in various ways. Yeah. We campaigned locally and nationally. We were part of the same uh, campaigns and so on. And it was a, it was a great time. Um, 
I wonder because it's something I've reflected on. That do you feel that now the level of detail, the level of analysis that we have and that we've been working on is much higher than it was in 2014? That in 2014, this kind of discussion wasn't really happening. There was a broad discussion yeah. about the merits of independence, um, uh, but there wasn't this level of detail, and there wasn't actually this level of built-up work done on how to actually establish a new state. Is that something that you feel? Yeah, I, I would say completely. I mean, I think that in 2014, there was, you know, there's a, there was a lot of thought done into... Um, what a, an independent Scotland could look like. The sort of vision piece. And now the vision's brilliant. The vision captivates people. The vision gets people inspired and, you know, really um, animates people. But you need to get past the vision into, well, how do we enact that vision? So it's great saying, you know, we want, um, you know, suppose, uh, like, childcare for everybody. But how do we get there? You can't just say something and not substantiate what you're saying. So the work that Commonweal's been doing, um, which if you want to support, you need to support financially, um, is absolutely brilliant because we have that vision, that overarching vision. I think we have a really good vision that kind of uh, manages to stretch over different camps of the independence campaign. We have that massive vision, that uh, massive transform transformative vision, but we also have the detail to back it up. So we're not just saying we want this. We're saying how we get there. We're saying how we do it. We're saying how it's going to be paid for. And I think that's what the difference is, is that there was some detail before, but now we've got down to the real nitty-gritty. We've got down to being able to say, well, actually, it doesn't matter if you say my vision's, uh, you don't like my vision. Actually, I've got things to back it up. And I think that we would say that we're in a much more uh, confident and comfortable position when it comes to putting forward all of these arguments than the uh, Leave campaign for leaving the EU yeah. it was. Because, I mean, people will know my views on the European Union. I, I am not in favour of the European Union. However, it's been very clear from day one that the Leave campaign, as set out by Nigel Farage and Dan Banks and others, they had no real plan for how this would, in reality, uh, function as a, yeah. a realisable policy of actually leaving the European Union. And that's why it's in such trouble just now. So we don't want to uh, repeat those mistakes. We want to ensure that should Scotland vote yes to independence, that we have a firm negotiating strategy and that we are able to set up a fully sovereign Scottish state that can deliver for the people of Scotland and that can play a, a role internationally yeah. in the world in opposing wars and in uh, decommissioning nuclear weapons and, and all of this kind of thing. That's, that's the big hope and that's the big vision. I want to go and just because I think we've covered the policy now, and as I say, we'll, we'll link to this yeah, uh, in, the, one in the podcast. What I was just going to say, was there anything else about the thing that you'd like to, to conclude with? Yeah, I mean, just one area that just needs to be touched on. I mean, it's a, it, it's if people say that a Scottish statistics agency can't be done or this can't be done in Scotland, well, we have examples in the rest of the UK where it's already been done. Um, Northern Ireland is the best example, or the only example, I think, um, of where data collection has been done on um, exports. So um, it operates an export survey, um, which is compulsory, um, so businesses have to fill it in. Um, the sort of reason why they have that dates back to home rule and 
um, a, the kind of long history in Northern Ireland. Um, and it sort of gives them a better um, scope for sort of estimating the trade that they'll need in future. Um, and it sort of gives them the same amount of detail as what the British wide or the, the rest of Britain have in terms of um, British trade surveys. So it means that instead of like Scotland, we have to wait to be given the statistics, Ireland actually has its own statistics and gives those statistics to the UK. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, it's a much better way of doing things. We're in control of, uh, you know, the information that we hold um, and we're able to, you know, have that information there without having to wait for it or ask for it. And we're not using other statistics outside of the ones we generate um, for to kind of bump up our um, export statistics Scotland report. So I, I think that I don't see why there should be any reason why two devolved administrations should be any different um, in that area. Well, um, I think that's uh, again like put the case very well, and it gives me a lot of confidence that we're beginning to get to grips with these with these arguments. But I guess just to uh, and thanks for giving us a, an overview of that policy. But but I guess just to um, to bring the the podcast to a close. Um, there's a couple of things that I think that it would be useful for Commonweal uh, supporters and listeners. Uh, to this podcast to, to have an insight into and I always try to give people a bit of a, a glimpse into how we operate and yeah. function and all that sort of thing. You're here as a, an intern at Commonweal. What, what is it that you've been working on and, and, and how have you uh, enjoyed the experience? Um, I mean I've been, I've been working since uh, around January time um, on a housing and communities project. It's really interesting. Uh, working on uh, six, seven, eight papers. Can't remember or lose count. It grows every month. It seems to. Um, I'm writing a paper just now. Um, the the experience has been absolutely fantastic. I mean, everybody in the Commonweal office is willing to help uh, help you in any way they can. Uh, we have lots of laughs, fun, and um, you know, people I didn't know previously uh, would consider friends now, and people that already considered friends within the Commonweal office, um, I've gotten to know even better. Um, so, I mean, it's a, it's a great experience. It's a great way to meet people who really have a, a kind of a niche understanding of their specific area. Um, because I'm speaking to people who have expertise in, you know, areas that I've never even heard of before. And I'm getting to learn about that. I'm getting to talk to them about that. I'm getting to edit what they're writing and stuff like that. So it's brilliant. And I've been involved in a couple of the other podcasts before with Craig, um, which has been a brilliant process and that's got me thinking about what I want to do so anybody who thinks that volunteering with Commonweal is something that they might want to do don't make it a might thing make it a should thing make it a definitely do thing because it's it's brilliant and uh, of course uh, all of that work is reliant on uh, and I still find this amazing yeah but this is all reliant on individuals giving small amounts of money in the main towards this project and we want to keep this going but more than that we want to constantly be expanding the areas of research that we conduct that we want to ensure that these are being popularized as far and as wide as they possibly can and that so we are in uh, the best possible position for when uh, a referendum on independence comes back around again i say when yeah. rather than if but of course uh, this isn't an easy thing to achieve. No. 
I mean, just in terms of your kind of closing comments, we started with Boris Johnson. We then talked about a key policy proposal that will help us to construct our trade policy and, uh, and integrate ourselves into the negotiations in the strongest possible way. We've talked a bit about your experience at Commonweal, but bringing all that together, what do you see happening now in terms of how we can best pursue that independence referendum? We have a mandate, one of the 2016 holiday elections by the SNP. We do have that mandate, but we also have a very intransigent Tory government who yeah. we expect would, would uh, repel or would uh, oppose any uh, referendum. So... How do you think the, we should be taking this forward? What do you see happening in, in this uh, uh, front? Um, it's, a, it's a hard question, and, and I, I've kind of watched a lot of the debates online, and um, you know, there's that, that kind of you know, yes land on Facebook where lots of people just think that we should just you know, stick a big Scottish flag in the ground and declare independence. I'm, I'm not into that sort of thing. I mean, thing, I'm up for know. that, Lewis, just to um, <laughs> I mean, if, if we all want to have a revolution, that's it. fine. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just don't think that there's a will for it in the same way that there would be no. in Catalonia, you know. Yeah. I, I do think that we need to do it properly um, <clears throat> and we need to secure um, that kind of Section 30 order so that we can hold our own referendum. Um in terms of whether the Tory government will let us have that, I'm not sure. There's there's been there's been madder things happened in the last two or three years than um, Boris Johnson caving and giving us a second referendum. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm quite optimistic about things, but you never know. Uh, I think politics is a is a game of unknown circumstances, and sometimes things prop up, crop up that you don't expect to. So I think we just need to continue making the case for it and taking every opportunity we can to um, secure that mandate. Well, Lewis, it's been a great pleasure to talk to you um, the, this afternoon. Um, I hope that listeners have enjoyed uh, this discussion. If you have, please do share the uh, link. And uh, as I say, if you are in a position to, please do donate towards Commonwealth so that we can make this podcast uh, even bigger and more expansive uh, as a whole, across the, the whole of the Commonwealth operation as we move forward, hopefully, uh, towards that referendum and uh, indeed towards independence. Lewis and I, uh, pretty big in Sheboygan, hopefully this podcast <laughs> pretty big in uh, Scotland over the, the coming weeks and months as we as we move forward with, uh, with the podcast. But we are uh, very keen to hear your questions, your ideas for what you'd like us to cover in the podcast and we will endeavour to make sure that we, we can uh, deliver on those on those asks. Uh, with that, uh, thanks very much for listening and we will be back next week with another episode of the Commonweal Policy Podcast. <laughs>